G'day. Talking about pedagogy with Ryan Shelton, Deputy Principal of Learning at Holy Cross College. This podcast is by teachers for teachers on the art and science of teaching. Holy Cross College is a pre-kindergarten to year 12 Catholic school situated in the metropolitan area of Perth, Western Australia. As an Apple Distinguished School, the college is a global leader in contemporary 21st century pedagogies that are Christ-centred and student-focused. The college's vision for learning allows for all students to be engaged, challenged and progressing. All right, so welcome to today's episode of Talking About Pedagogy. What an amazing experience we've got today. I've got two experts with me. We're going to be focusing on uh, a a pedagogical theory, but it's more than a theory because it's a practice that um, is lived out here at Holy Cross. We've been living this out for about four years within our phys ed department. I argue we've got the best phys ed team going around in the state, and I would love to have anyone come and challenge me on that. Um, And we run an approach here called the Game Sense Approach to Physical Education. It's a move away from the the traditional uh, means of phys ed and how we teach um, from skill acquisition and and focus on a teacher focus, telling the students what they want the kids to do, to a a tactical awareness, an approach that's based on students being active and inquiring and coming up with their own um, ways and tactics and strategies to maximise the sport. And so to, to talk about that today, we've got two experts here. One of the experts is one of our phys ed teachers from Holy Cross. This is Christina Devaney. Christina, you want to say hello? Hi, everyone. So Christina um, is also one of our deputy principals and has been teaching phys ed here almost since the foundation of the college. She teaches um, our senior school phys ed studies and has really gone through the journey with our phys ed team of the Game Sense Approach. And we've got the big dog of Game Sense Approach with us today as well, um, the Associate Professor Shane Pill, who's from Flinders University in South Australia. Although not the mastermind behind Game Sense originally, has really become, I suppose, the contemporary voice in Australia around the Game Sense Approach. And so um, the amazing amount of dissertations that, that Shane has put out around Game Sense Approach, his, his big background is to do with um, footy and ha- has had a big focus on AFL, whether in South Australia or in West Australia, Um, big background in cricket as well. Um, But he is a phys ed uh, teacher back in the day, um, deputy principal, and then now um, a a scholar uh, of the Game Sense approach and making a big difference. Shane, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. And after that, I want to hire you as my manager. (laughs) (laughs) You might not by the end of the episode, though, so we'll see how we go. Um, Look, Shane, I suppose a a great spot to start is from your side. Um, What's the background of Game Sense Approach? What is it? Where's it come from? What's been your experience around it? That's a big story to tell, but I'll start with the background to it. In the 1990s, the Australian Sports Commission recognised that a lot of young people disengaged with the way that games were being coached and the way that games were being coached was very similar to the way physical education was being taught. We talk about that as a behaviourist orientation where young people were asked to reproduce movements that were uh, illustrated by the coach and the closer the replication of those movements to the coach demonstration, the better they were. From a learning theory perspective, we call it complicated learning because it deconstructs the reality into a series of components which are progressively put back together 
into an idealised version of the play. And because the teaching is consistently deconstructed from the game, often when the kids are put back into the game, they fail because they don't actually understand how to read the game. They only understand how to perform in very, what we call, closed environments. And those environments are where the information load is unlike the game. There's no defensive pressure. There's only one decision to make. The complexities have been completely taken out of it. So we know that young people play sport because their parents take them to sport. But when they get to that 12 or 13 years of age and they're at that stage, they can go, no, you can't force me to go to training anymore. If the game is not enticing, and by the game I mean the environment in which the game is being delivered, they'll go and choose something else. Having read about the success that occurred in the teaching games for understanding trials, um, Rod Thorpe was brought out to Australia to work with the Sports Commission yep. and the UK Teaching Games for Understanding uh, framework became the Game Sense approach in Australia. The Game Sense approach, I argue, is more non-linear and flexible than the Teaching Games for Understanding model, which is built on six steps that are delivered in sequence. Uh, but the, the purpose was to keep people more engaged by working with the motivations that bring people to be physically active, which is the search to play. And so if we can make training environments more play-like, we'll get people more interested in coming to training rather than the situation that most of us experience where the coach says, you have to come to training because if you don't, you won't get a game. So the game is what motivates people. The other part is there's been a big shift in teaching from that behaviourist orientation to what we call a constructivist perspective. Mm-hmm. And that constructivist perspective indicates that we're actually starting with that individual and where they are as a learner and then building from there. So it's not the old assumption that they know nothing. It's actually the uh, assessment piece about what do you know and then we can build from there. And what we're aiming for is context and the context is the game. So we move to what's called a game-based approach rather than a drill-based approach. That doesn't mean we don't do drills, but it means that we understand that what we're trying to teach is this activity context called a game. My own journey behind that is I I didn't know anything about this game-based approach in any substance until I started to teach at Newman College. And and my head of department, Brian Redding, had these very game-based lessons And I had these very structured lessons uh, with high-set induction going from closed to open drills with a game at the end. And I used to watch Brian's lesson, and I I don't know that the students got to any different learning outcomes at the end, but I thought, I'd rather be teaching what Brian's teaching. That looks like more fun. And if I think it looks like more fun and I'd enjoy teaching that way, the students probably enjoy it more at the end. Now, I'm in a context at Newman College where there's a high level of compliance and task-orientated kids, so it's not a difficult teaching environment. Yes. I started to have these conversations with Brian around why he was doing what he was doing. Throw into that, Les House at Edith Cowan University was doing some work on the moving games approach and started to do some PD in that area. Rick Charles were, uh, was being highly successful internationally as a coach and he was talking about his use of designer games that package technical, tactical, and fitness requirements into one task rather than seeing them as separate components of teaching. And then the GameSense approach was released. Coinciding with the GameSense approach being released was the National Statements and Profiles Project to deliver a national curriculum, 
which became the competency framework in WA, and we were signed up as a trial school. So as a trial school, we were expected to trial the new elements of the curriculum, and one of those new elements was a strong emphasis on critical inquiry and problem solving. And the game sense approach just aligned perfectly with that teaching intention. So I started initially to play around with the game sense approach in my first day in football coaching, mm-hmm. and then it from there moved into my PE teaching. And what sort of difference did you notice in the engagement of students as you went through the game sense approach as a phys ed teacher at that time? Well, it was only a couple of years at Newman College before I moved back to South Australia, but initially at Newman College, I think it was I enjoyed teaching more that way, which enabled me to think about persisting with that as a teaching approach. And it intuitively made sense to me, but it also challenged my game understanding. I had to actually know the game better to teach using a game sense approach. It was easy to go to a book and think, right, volleyball. First week will be forearm passing because I've got to do serve, receive. Then after that, I've got to go setting because that's where the ball goes to. And then the setter is putting it to the attack, so I've got to teach people to spike. So after teaching people to spike, I probably need to teach them to block. And now I'm back at the start, so I'll finish off by teaching them to serve. There's five-week unit of work. And we're teaching people to do forearm passes, and we control the situation, put them into a game, ball goes onto the floor. Philly, why did you go for the ball? It didn't come to me. And that's completely understandable because we haven't taught them the foundational understanding of the game of volleyball is keep the ball off the floor. Yeah. That's it. That's what we're trying to do. And we haven't done any teaching about keep the ball off the floor. How do we keep the ball off the floor? Any means possible as long as you don't catch it. Yep. Because if you catch it, then you have to throw it, and that breaks the rule. So I can do anything possible. Absolutely. You can use any part of your body. But no, we don't teach them that. We teach them that you must put your arms in this position, lock your legs these way, do these things. And what I've discovered is that I can get to those biomechanical markers of effective and efficient performance with minimal direct instruction if I scaffold the parameters of the game to only allow particular behaviour. So starting with the competencies of the students and then shaping those competencies by changing the, in my generation it would have been called changing the parameters of the game or changing the rules of the game, but some um, contemporary skill acquisition theorists would call it changing the constraints of the game. But then I went to uh, the Josephite School in South Australia, Mount Carmel College, and the phys ed teachers there were, well, I was only 30 at the time, but they were all younger than me very early out, and they said, we need to do something differently because we've got a large number of kids that are not disengaging. It was a very different clientele to Newman College, low socioeconomic, um, uh, high levels of English as a second language because of where it was um, situated near the uh, new arrivals um, hostel and program there. And so we started to move to a thematic curriculum using a game sense approach as the teaching delivery. When I started at the school, there was, I think, four students enrolled in Year 12 physical education. When I left the school, there was 22 kids enrolled in Year 12 physical education out of a similar cohort of about 55 students. We'd gone from only having one semester of PE in year 11 to two semesters of PE in year 11, an elective class of PE in year nine. We had um, very strong sporting programs, got our first ever first 18 football team. And I think, you know, it coincides with the use of the game sense approach throughout our PE program, giving people more confidence that they could have a go at these other opportunities that we were providing. So that's, 
uh, how I got into the Game Sense approach. That's sensational. You know, it's interesting listening to you talk about the volleyball example because when I went to uni, I was actually, for those listeners out there, I'm actually a trained phys editor and I only flex that where I need to. And I was trained under the great Paul Rycroft at the University of Notre Dame in Fremantle. And when he taught us our volleyball unit, we started with the Game Sense approach. And he started with um, this little game, and he used to call it loading your legs. And you had, it was essentially a little game of four square where he said, just do whatever you need to do. And he said, this is the most fundamental thing you need to be able to nail in volleyball. And he actually taught us the spike first um, after that. And the first game was centered around the spike because he said, how do you win in volleyball? And we had to – so the idea was why are we learning how to dig first or set first – when that doesn't win you the game of volleyball, it's the ability to smash it. And that engaged us right from so you imagine uni students, uh, how we're puffing our chests out, ready to spike at all, all costs. Christina, you've been teaching in the Game Sense approach for a while now. What's this look like for you? Yeah, look, um, I, I've, I've taught the traditional method for many, many years prior to coming to Holy Cross College. And, you know, when I first started at Holy Cross College, it was a smaller school. Um, and we had a lot of kids just disengaged and sitting down in PE um, and not actively participating because we basically taught the drill, skill, the te- technica- technicality of that. And then finally, we spent the last 20 minutes playing games. And that's the bit that the kids really do love. Mm. So, um, you know, and what do I see now at Holy Cross College after four years of, of doing the Game Sense is that kids are actively participating. Kids are wanting to participate and get involved and, you know, want to get better. But most importantly, it's, it's enabling our students to be playing games for life. You know, these are these are life skills we want our students to play um, and our students to be able to, you know, leave year 12 and then join a rec team where they're able to understand gameplay because that's what they're going to be doing. They're not going to be sitting around practicing the spike or, or a dig. They're going to be playing games. And that's what we really hope for our, our learners at Holy Cross College. And we've got a, a, a real issue in Australia at the moment, probably globally, realistically, about a, a massive sedentary lifestyle in young people, a decrease in student or, or child, teenager participation, particularly in young females um, of sport. And we know that the ability for well-being and mental health and all of these experiences in life, that sport plays such a critical role. And if we can keep people active, then we're winning. So I suppose, um, Shane, from from a practical side of things, what do you want to see a teacher doing pedagogically in order to nail the game sense approach? Because it sounds like you probably need to know a bit more about each sport um, in order to master the game sense approach, to modify the games, to um, get students into scenarios where they're going to thrive. What does it look like? Initially, it'll look like knowing what your end game is so that you can use that game as a tool to assess the student's beginning abilities. So the first game and the the last game are your assessment pieces to bookend so you understand whether any learning has occurred. So using that first game as a performance assessment enables you then to design your program to meet where the learning needs of the students are at so you get a differentiated curriculum. That doesn't mean that every moment of every lesson is differentiated, but it needs to provide the opportunities where the students can go into their challenge points and recognise that the students that are not yet there will need a different set of circumstances to the students that are tracking towards the achievement standard who will need a different set of experiences for those that are already there and need to be extended. So that's the first point. The second point is when we look at the planning of the lesson in general, 
we go into a modified game at the start and that modified game is there as retrieval practice. It's the opportunity for the teacher to reset, recalibrate and assess whether the students are where the teacher thinks they should be and which students are there and to track whether the learning from the previous lesson has stuck or whether there needs to be revision from that previous learning. So we play that game, that modified game form to suit the challenge point of where our class is at. We then have to do a reflective piece with our students. During that reflective piece, we either psychologically set the students towards improvements and return to play. We focus their attention on areas that we think they had forgotten and need to be reminded about, or we shape their game behaviour with slight tweak to the game or some cue points to focus their thinking and return to the play to see if the play improves. Or it might be as a result of watching that first game, some kids return to the game and others are withdrawn to go into some practice because that's what they need at that moment because they're not at the same level of success as the others. And if that continues, they're going to have learning deficits. So they need to have some individual attention at specific points before they're inserted back into the game. Or everything's going really well as revealed in the reflection piece. We can actually go into the, the, uh, the next level of the modified game, which is where the learning piece comes in. And we would expect that to be quite challenging for the majority of students because it's stretching their level of competence. So at that second game, we're very comfortable with messiness, we're very comfortable with mistakes because they're the things that are showing us that learning is occurring and provide us with the opportunities for conversations with the students in order to help their further development as confident, competent players. That's both in the technical and the tactical sense. The other element is we don't normally talk about a warm-up and a cool-down. Like, you know, telling a 10-year-old to go and run a couple of laps around the oval and do static stretching. When have you ever seen a 10-year-old come out of recess or down the park and go, oh, hang on, sorry, before we have a kick of the footy, I just need to do a few hamstring stretches and got to get my heart rate up to 120 before I can do marks up in the yard. But I think they do understand the need to prepare. So one of the areas that people often talk about is where do we actually insert the isolated practice, the drill components to improve measures that just aren't naturally occurring due to adaptation of the game components. Now, some teachers would like to do that at the beginning in close to open drill preparation as part of preparing mind and body for the first game. Some other teachers will like to do that at the end of the lesson in skill pits, stations, you know, those challenge point activities for the individual growth and development targets that we've sent our students. And of course, then there'll be the needs during the lesson where we will, as a result of the reflective piece, stop the whole class or parts of the class to do some skill interventions with them as required. And that's why we talk about the Game Sense approach as non-linear and flexible, because you're not locked into the components of the lesson having to be delivered in sequence. The craft of the teacher is being able to respond to the learning needs collectively and individually, so the program of development actually leads to the learning rather than just having an experience of activities. 
it's sensational to me because when we talk here a lot about things like student agency, students active participants in their learning, student voice predominating over teacher voice. I, I, big, we have a big push here. We've got great contemporary spaces. We talk about the idea of intentional use of space, and I see our phys ed team really lead the way in all of these things through their game sense approach. Christina. For you, when you stepped into the Game Sense approach, you'd been teaching a traditional method for a long period of time. What was that first term like for you moving into a Game Sense approach? Yeah, it was really quite difficult, to be honest, um, to get your mindset away from that, you know, the warm-up, the stretch, the, the drill, um, practice, drill, practice, then game. Um, that was really, really quite difficult. But, you know, the more you read about it, the more you looked at how you um, structured your lessons um, and then watching it in action, you realise that this is probably the model that, you know, we really need to go um, in, our, in our world that we are today. Um, the kids just thrive off gameplay. Um, but like you said, that intervention, I, I tend to use intervention after a couple of little games that are happening where we might need to just, you know, focus in on a couple of skills because those skills aren't happening in the gameplay. So, you know, we strip it back and, you know, I draw on some of those, um, you know, drills and skills that I've, I've traditionally taught. But um, there's always a place for, the, for them somewhere. But, you know, it's generally the kids learning through that gameplay and through their mistakes mistakes, you know, it's through mistakes that we all learn, um, we all grow and we all get better. And that's really important for our students to sort of, you know, realise that, um, especially in the world they live in today. Yeah, what I love when I watch it, Shane, as well is um, our phys ed teachers have a great uh, art of creating a low stakes environment where it's okay to fail. And, you know, you think about phys ed in its place within all of education is just as critical as English and maths and science. And, you know, yeah. when we talk holistically about, you know, particularly in Catholic education, we talk about educating the whole person. And um, when I see this low stakes environment created where students understand that learning is more important than success, and that's created in, in a sense of what did we learn from that activity? How do we get better? What can we put in place to, to adapt and create? It's different to other subjects and it creates a culture where kids when they when they graduate from school and they become lifelong learners know that it's okay to try and fail and get better have you had a similar experience to that yeah i think there's so much wisdom in the conversation that the two of you just shared uh, with the listeners my observation is that when game sense approach is done well either in a coaching session or a teaching session the student voice dominates because the teacher is in there asking the question, probing it, um, flicking the debate around the class, checking for understanding by going, that's a really good point, Ryan. What did you understand by that, Christina? Whereas in a, in a more um, behaviourist approach and more common approach, the teacher would go, that's really good, Ryan. Christina, and that means you have to do this. So there's a lot more telling because what you're asking is the student to reproduce your understanding rather than, in a game sense approach, we want to be the prompt so the students are developing the understanding to enable their capacity to be independent, self-regulated, not just activity seekers, but learners in activity settings. So throughout their life, they can be flexible, adaptive and engaged in the physical activity context they find themselves in rather than what a lot of the research suggests is that young people go through five weeks of this and five weeks of that and what they're learning through each of those five-week physical activity experiences is I can't do that. 
So they, the, the failure to succeed leads them to think that they're unable to be physically active, which leads to the choice to be inactive. Whereas what I really enjoyed about your conversation was encouraging the idea that failure is good, failure is necessary, and failure leads to improvement. So failure is therefore something to be celebrated. If the failure is occurring due to a lack of effort and lack of care, that's a completely different scenario. But if the failure is there because you've got people invested and they're operating at the edge of their challenge point, our, our piece as educators is to go, we expect this to be a little bit messy and we're okay with the errors at this point. Mm. But what we hope to see over time is a decrease in the errors, errors because that means you're improving. So we've done our job. So we come in deliberately to disrupt, make you a little bit uncomfortable, but within that zone where, you know, I think I can. That's, yeah. the, that's the craft of the teacher and that's where that assessment piece in your opening game, the assessment piece in the first game of each lesson is really important because you're setting that um, game environment where the students are challenged but they know that if they rise to the challenge, they'll succeed. I love that. Maybe not today. But at some stage, they'll succeed. That's yeah. right. And, I, you know, a classic example for me, just recently in my year, um, tens did badminton. And, you know, we've only just re- received our gym, um, you know, got a, a, a massive, amazing facility, our brand new um gymnasium, and we're able to offer our students badminton. Um, and we, we chose to uh, put badminton in a, into our Year 10 program. And, you know, by Year 10, kids are generally tapering off phys ed and start to become disengaged a little bit. But the level of engagement in, in, in badminton was super high for us because it's the first time some of these kids are doing badminton. Um, but, you know, to, to foster that game sense approach, you know, I had kids who were flat as because they couldn't serve. I said, don't worry about serving. Just get the the, the shuttle up and, and let, let's get the game going, you know, throw it in, however it needs to, to happen. But then I'd have kids, you know, halfway through my unit saying, Mrs. Davini, did you see me? Uh, I just hit the ball. I served it. That's amazing. And, it, you know, that's not me explicitly teaching them um, how to serve, but it's because they've learnt through the successes of the gameplay and the repeat of um, practising the skill over and over again without me over their shoulder and saying, do this do that, do that. It's through their peers and through the, you know, them visually um, watching others serve that they've picked up that, you know, simple skill, but the level of success, their level of success is up here. And, you know, when we look at um, assessing the students at that initial lesson to where they progress at the end, you can see how, how far they've come and, and you know, but more importantly, importantly, celebrating their win, their success with one simple skill, they're able to serve, and that makes them feel really good. Yeah, and picking up on what Ryan said earlier about the inactivity crisis that exists in this country, a lot of it occurs because young people today don't get the free play that previous generations got. There's not the backyards, there's not the driveways, there's not the parents at home going, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, there's a park down the road, off you go, because they're worried about letting the kids go down to the park, even though the statistics tell us that while there might be more incidences, we've got more people. So, of course, there's going to be more instances. But as a, as a percentage, kids are at no more risk today than what they were 100 years ago. But the perception of risk is much higher today, and so, therefore, the ability of kids to roam, explore, and have creative play has diminished from their grandparents' and great-grandparents' generation. That leads to movement competence and, 
deficits compared to previous generations. This generation of young people is not as previous, is not as movement competent as their grandparents. As a result of an absence of play, where kids were told, get outside, you've got a driveway, you've got a cricket bat, there's two of you, you can play cricket. They don't get those experiences now of taking the skills that used to be introduced in PE down at the cricket club and apply them on the driveway, on the road, at the beach, in the park. So kids are not looking at their environment and going, okay, I don't need a wicket keeper, I've got a wall. Mm. You get behind, you're out. I've got a fence there, hit the fence on the pool, that's a six. Trees, hit the um, ball to the tree, that's the fielder. They're not, they're not thinking like that because they're not put into that environment to get that creative thinking. So therefore, when they go into an activity space, they're, they're not looking to see the potential for physical activity because they've been not taught to look that way. So phys ed needs to be making up for that creativity piece that is no longer fostered um, as it was with previous generations. And we don't get the creativity piece if the teacher comes in as a director um, demanding compliance every moment of the lesson. Shane, have you seen examples of um, schools getting to a point where the students can come up with the modifications themselves, like they're the ones really leading the charge and facilitating what's happening in terms of learning or perhaps some expert students that by year 12 are in state teams or you know, and really running the lesson? Now, a lot of it depends on the teachers at the school at the time and if the teacher leaves and that ability goes with them. So what I see is that uh, often these initiatives are driven by the individual teachers and they don't become systemic to the school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the schools I worked in, I can remember I was giving a lecture about how um, we had changed the physical education program to a game sense approach and these were the outcomes and this is what we saw and these were some of the tools that we used to get feedback from students. It was about four years after I'd left this school. I don't know, about five years after I'd left this school and I had another school in between. Um, and this student come up to me, pre-service teacher come up to me and said, that sounds like nothing. I'm at the school that you're describing. That sounds like nothing oh, like our right. PE program. So five years after I'd left the school, or well, six years after I'd left the school, that program that myself and other teachers had put in place no longer existed because none of those teachers that were involved in that program were still at the school. And quite understandably, and you said the teachers come in with their ideas and their ideas drive the program. So I'm, I'm yet to see anywhere around the country, I'm sure they exist, but I'm yet to see anywhere around the country that deliberately builds the capacities that you just talked about in a coherently coordinated way. But I see uh, lots of teachers doing brilliant work within the confines of what they're able to deliver, but not necessarily across whole faculties, not necessarily systemised from reception to year 12, if that's the opportunity that they've got. So, look, Shane, we've got a number of system leaders and deputies and principals that listen to this podcast. What advice would you give to them then about building a culture where they are building the capacity of their staff to have a systematic approach to the game sense um, pedagogy happening in their phys ed classes? Well, the first thing for me is it's the curriculum builder looking at the verbs that describe the student achievement standard. And when we look at the verbs that describe the student achievement standard, in the WA curriculum, which is modelled on the Australian curriculum, we almost see a Bloom's taxonomy from reception to year 10. And we also see that those cognitive behaviours need to be developed 
by the teachers asking questions. So one of the five propositions of your curriculum, the Australian curriculum, is a critical inquiry and problem-solving approach. One of the general capabilities of the curriculum is critical thinking. So the teacher um, pedagogy is the key aspect of developing that capacity for thinking players, game intelligence that comes. Now, the Game Sense approach is a model that enables the teachers to deliver authentically on the intention of the curriculum to be delivered the way the curriculum is written for delivery. Uh, in my experience, a lot of teachers are not cognizant of the verbs that describe the cognitive behaviour of the students. You can't plan for a game sense approach if you don't know that a game sense approach is necessary to deliver on the curriculum requirements. So the first part is making sure that people have the uh, literacy of the curriculum that they're required to deliver and assess on. Now, Christina, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You've got the expert of experts here, Game Sense Approach, Shane. You teach this. Um, do you have any questions for Shane? Anything that you've been like, oh, geez, I struggled with that. I wish I, I had Shane to help me with that or um, any tips or tricks that you want from Shane? Uh, you definitely oh, could even be Shane, how do I do a PhD? Could be Shane, how do I do a PhD at Flinders University? That would be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've only just got in my master's, so I'll just sit on the master's for a little while, Shane. I'll be in touch later, I think. Um, look, it's a tough question. Um, you know, it's just trying to make, I suppose, being innovative about the games that you, you're, you're delivering to your students. How do you constantly, you know, change the games games to meet the times and the challenges of our students and, you know, picking up on, you know, how quickly and how you need to manipulate a particular lesson to get the best of our learners? It's, it's a very general question, but, you know, it's it's... How, what kind of advice can you give to other teachers to be able to, you know, make those decisions and, and come up with those games that are really going to, you know, get our students to where they need to be and, and get them to enjoy PE as well? That's a really perceptive question and, and the answer seems straightforward but it's not. The design of that first game and... I'm mindful that one of the influences on my choice of language and how I see the world is that Rick Charlesworth piece around the deliberate design of games to achieve a purpose. So when the coach chooses a game or modifies the game, when the teacher chooses the game as an instrument for learning, they need to have a clear understanding of the purpose of the game. Mm. And when you have a clear understanding of the purpose of the game, you play that game with the students knowing that a particular game moment is going to occur because you've deliberately chosen that game because the game moment will occur. And it's that game moment that is the educative piece. It's that game moment that is the focus of everything that we're doing during the lesson so that we can go deep and have deep learning. We can have repetition without repetition on the cues, on the themes, on the concepts and the the movement competencies that develop are solving the same problem, just the problem in different moments in the game. So understanding that first game's teaching point becomes the key aspect of it. And the other part is you don't actually need a lot of games because you can modify 
essentially in an invasion game, which is a complex game of keep possession of the ball until you score. It's, yeah. it's keepy off. All invasion games are keepy off. So whether it's hockey, soccer, basketball, netball, Australian football, water polo, adaptations of essentially the same keepy off games are used across all of those sports. A lot of people think to me, oh, I just need to have this huge repertoire of games. Actually, no, you don't. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to uh, Malcolm Blight, ex-AFL coach on the radio the other day, and he said on the radio, he said he never, ever did a drill that didn't involve kicking a goal at the end because he said the purpose and how do you win AFL, yes, you've got to have good defense, you've got to have all of these things in place, but you win the games by scoring more goals than the other team. So the idea was we always need to kick a goal no matter what. Um, and so that kept that purpose to what they were doing. And I suppose that's a good little uh, segue there, Shane. I do want to fangirl a little bit uh, here. You've had a big background in footy, and um, footy's uh, my big passion outside of education. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background in footy and some of the things that you've done with the Game Sense approach uh, at an elite level? Yeah, unfortunately, my own playing career didn't last very long. I, as a 20-year-old, I tore my driver apart, very similar to Wayne Miller's injury at the moment, but worse because I also tore the mile and sheet. So I missed all of the 87 uh, football season after having broken into the league team at uh, West Torrens in, in 86. Moved over to Perth, tried to make a comeback, got a couple of injuries, uh, probably didn't deal well with um, being 3,000 kilometres from home and not knowing anyone. And so my league football career in, uh, in WA didn't last very long, lasted one game. Uh, and then, you know, played amateurs for a couple of years. But when I rolled up to Newman College, uh, the deputy principal, who was the first 18 coach, said, I'm, I'm too busy to do first 18. We need a new first 18 coach. You've played league footy. We want you to do it. And I said, I'm, I'm 23. I'm not that much older than the year 11s and 12s. I'm not sure that I'm ready. This is my second year of teaching. And he's gone, no, you're it. We're going to give this other bloke here as your assistant coach and, and we want you to do it. So I'm like, okay. So uh, I started coaching first 18 football at a fairly young age, really found that I enjoyed the um, tactical challenge of it and um, found out that, I, that as a coach, I tend to see the game like a game of chess. And I'm thinking about how to move the pieces around to bring about particular outcomes to give us a particular advantage, et cetera. And really enjoyed that um, mental challenge of of coaching. And a few years later, I'm in South Australia and I'm doing the Game Sense approach. And uh, football is my background. And I got asked to run some workshops to explain what we were doing at the school, what I was doing in my coaching. Those workshops started to resonate. Um, I started up a football program at a school that didn't have a football program before. Had some had some success with the first 18 team at Newman College when I was there and um, just through the professional development work, people started to go, gee, we haven't heard about this idea before. We quite like it. We'll give it a try. People were giving it a try, sending me emails going, geez, I struggled to get players to training. Now I'm doing the Game Sense approach. I'm getting plenty of players coming to training and the feedback's awesome. They want to come to training. They're really enjoying training. And I remember a coach of one country team said, uh, sent me an email going, I never realised how awesome this would be. I was really struggling to get players to training. Now players from the other country town want to come and join our team because they've heard how good training is. <laughs> Jeez, that so doesn't that, happen often. You know, that sort of, 
yeah, so that sort of stuff provides affirmation that you're on the on a good track in, in terms of um, getting people to stay in the game, retention and um, and attraction to to our sport. Got um, Dave Reynolds from the SNFL came to a session that I was running on teaching Australian football using a game sense approach in PE. He saw some possibilities of doing work at that stage in one of the SNFL club zones because he could see how the community coaches would benefit from those ideas. So he got me to roll out some um, coaching sessions for that state league zone. That led to doing some work with the level one and two coaching courses, uh, then got invited uh, the first national coaching conference in Adelaide to do a session on game sense coaching. I said, oh, you'll probably get 20 coaches. The main focus is on the adults and the semi-professional level. There's about 500 people at the conference. Well, 70 people turned up to the session on game sense coaching. They just kept rolling out. So they went, okay, so community coaches are interested in this idea as well and got invited to a couple of other sessions and then was fortunate enough to give a keynote on the game sense approach. Um, it might have been the 2015 AFL conference in Melbourne. Um, worked with um, a coach based in Melbourne. I delivered a 30 minute overview of the game sense approach. Then we went out and uh, he delivered a game sense coaching session, and I was mic'd up explaining what he was doing, interviewing him as to the how, why, and what of particular aspects. We mic'd him up so when he talked to the players, the coaches in the grandstand could see how he was doing his questioning strategy and what he was getting back from the players. Uh, that got really good feedback, and then the next year when the coaching conference was in Perth, uh, Dave Reynolds and I came over and we ran a keynote a practical keynote where we demonstrated the game sense approach using, I think it was Perth Football Club's under-16s. Got really good feedback from that. Um, fortunate to have been to Perth on a couple of occasions now to present the skill acquisition component in the Level 3 coaching course. But all of that is possible because Laurie Woodman, who was the game development uh, person at the AFL, was pushing the idea of game-based coaching and, and the first time I did the keynote, um, I was a bit worried, you know, 500 odd coaches, national coaching conference, I'm not an AFL coach, I'm not a state league coach, who's going to listen to this boffin from Flinders University talk about why they should use a game sense approach? Alistair Clarkson was the keynote on Friday night, and Alistair Clarkson's main <laughs> message on the Friday night was play more games. We don't play enough games in Australian football, we have to play more games, our kids have to play more games. The most powerful thing you can do as a coach of a community is get your kids to play more games. And I'm sitting there going, fantastic, because my keynote <laughs> the next day is play games. So um, I think the audience had been primed because Alistair Clarkson had come out and said, we need to be playing games as coaches and um, playing more of them. And probably the thing we do differently at Hawthorne that has made the most difference is make our training more game-like. So people were ready to listen to my ideas the next day. <laughs> oh, that's sensational, isn't it? Well, look, Shane, it's been absolutely fascinating listening to your um, journey today. And what I love about it is that in a phys ed context, fits into our vision for learning at Holy Cross absolutely perfectly, which our vision for learning is a broader global, you know, the push of what 21st century education looks like. And so um, it's that perfect fit. Christina and Shane, have you got one piece of advice that you would give to any um, practitioners out there that are thinking about or have already started um, the game-based approach in their pedagogical practice? One final bit of advice. Yeah, 
Yeah, I suppose for, for me, um, it, it's really read about it, 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 really investigate what what Game Sense is about, and then just give it a go. Um, and you know, email people, um, go to experts; they're more than willing to help. You know, I'm sure Shane will, you know, say email me if you have any questions. And you know, I have done that before with Shane as well. So you know, try and gain as much um, expertise, advice as you can, um, and don't be afraid to fail as well. Um, it's through these these failures that we succeed. That's right. And Shane's got a lot of great literature out there for people does, to read as well. Does, yeah. Shane, piece of wisdom? I'll pick up on that last one, be prepared to fail. We ask our students to be prepared to fail and, and we need to do that as well. We need to see ourselves as the lead learners and as the lead learners we need to be able to model that we're learning and learning is messy and learning means that we'll make mistakes. Open up with the students and let them know we're trying something today because I've learned something and it may or may not work and that's cool. If it works, thumbs up. If it doesn't, we've learned something from it, both myself as a teacher and us as a group. Doesn't mean it was wrong. Maybe it just means either I or the group wasn't ready for it, so we'll we'll go on and do something else. But Christina's advice about be a learner and as a learner, be prepared to be challenged and have some failures is the way that I got started with it. Well, Christina, Shane, thank you so much for your time today as the experts on the games-based approach. And um, I love seeing it in action uh, from, from my side of things. If people want to get in touch uh, on Twitter, what's your handle, Christina? Do you know off the top of your head? Yeah, it's at Mrs. Davini. Yeah, and Shane, your Twitter handle? At Pilly66. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much um, for your time today and uh, good luck to all those people out there and, you know, give it a go and really become a student for, for the tactics of sport as well. Don't just watch sport and think that you need to know the content because we know that education is more than just content. It's about the skills and the delivery of how we help people to thrive within all of our curriculum areas. So thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Shane, so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. If you know of any awesome educators that we should have on this podcast, please reach out. Thanks for listening to the Talking About Pedagogy podcast from Holy Cross College. Be sure to find us at holycross.wa.edu.au and follow us on Twitter. Goodbye, God bless, and thank you for being my friends.